You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Matthew chapter 1 today, uh, we're going to, again, like I said, just get into Christmas series. Uh, love Christmas. Who here loves Christmas? Who, is, who's, who, who here is Christmas their favorite time of year? Yeah, come on, way better than first service. First service is like, I don't know, like a little humbugs in the first service, right? Christmas is truly the greatest time of year. I think Christmas and Easter, but of all of them, like Christmas, like it's got Christmas music starts and it's got that that nostalgic feel. And I can think back to so many memories of growing up where Christmas was like the pinnacle moment, you know, the the festivities and the family traditions and the food. You got to have the food, right? And the fun around the Christmas tree. And it just, it just such a, seems to be so rich and meaningful. And yet, and yet, get this, we can do all of those things, which are good and right, all those things, but we can miss the fullness of Christmas if we miss this, the true meaning of Christmas. And so all those things that we do to celebrate, they're good, but if all of our memories are just surrounded about traditions and nostalgia and all those things, like, we miss the full meaning of Christmas. And here's the full meaning of Christmas as summarized by Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Here's what Christmas really is that we have to grab in our hearts to get the full reality of what the season is. Here's what it is. Titus chapter 2, 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. This is truly Christmas. It's God's grace bringing salvation for who? All people. It's it's God showing up, revealing himself by his grace through a little baby in a manger. But Christmas isn't about the baby in the manger. It's about God himself manifest in the flesh, present, showing himself to all of us. That everybody who bows to him through faith and repentance would know the glory of Jesus. That's what Christmas is really about. God breaking into the world to rescue us from our sins, to restore us to relationship with God, and to redeem us for all of eternity. And so that's why we celebrate Christmas. And as Christians, we celebrate sort of like the rest of the world, but completely different than the rest of the world because we have fullness of meaning and joy. And so now our celebrations and our traditions and all those things that we do take on a whole different, go to a whole different realm. And so as believers, we should be celebrating better than anybody else on the planet. Because Christmas is about our God coming to reveal himself to us. You have to understand, brothers and sisters, that Christmas isn't a hallmark holiday like the rest of them. This is a supernatural, special occasion where God came to us. And so we want to capture the full essence of that through this Christmas series. So we're just going to study one chapter of Matthew, kind of Matthew and Luke is where kind of Christmas is shown for us in the scripture. We're going to study Matthew chapter one, praying that God would captivate our hearts that we truly would celebrate like nobody else, like like that our parties would be the most meaningful and our family gatherings the more joy because we have Jesus. So let me read for you Matthew chapter 1. And then we're just going to dive into it and, and unpack this for you. Here's what the Word of God says. And understand this this is the Word of God. Meaningful and impactful for our hearts every single time we open it. Every word is important. Here's, here's what it says The genealogy of Jesus Christ. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, my favorite name in here, and Ram the father of Aminabed, Amin, Adad, why can't they just put Bob, hey? 
Aminadab, the father of Nalshan, and Nalshan the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon, the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Josh, Jotham, and Joshim, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. You still with me? And Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation of Babylon. And after the deportation of Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Elakim, and Elakim the father of Azar, and Azar the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Whew. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation uh, to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. Don't you just love how the Christmas story starts with such a gripping, action-packed account of Jesus' birth? You're like, not... Most people think the Christmas story starts in verse 18, so we skip this all together. We have no idea what this is in here for, no idea what this means. We think it's filler. And yet we know that God doesn't include filler in his word, correct? Because all of you college students are like, oh, I've got a 20-page paper, only got 18. What can I stuff in here to make it 20? God doesn't do that. God has every single word recorded to show the glory of Jesus and to impact our hearts that we will see Christ fully. And so I just want to help you understand this morning an important part of the Christmas story, the genealogies. And I know you're probably already thinking like, oh, brother, here we go. This is like having, watching the Nutcracker after having a big meal. Like, you're going to be out. You're not going to be out. It's like watching NASCAR on a Sunday afternoon. I get it. But that's not it. Once you realize how important these things are and how meaningful these things are, I think your heart will come alive to even want to study more genealogies. Here's, let me start with this. Here's two reasons why we study the genealogies. Two reasons to show us God's grace in giving us King Jesus and to show us God's grace in using messed up people in his divine sovereign plan. So why does God put genealogies in the Bible? One is to show us God's grace in giving us King Jesus. The second was to show us God's grace in using messed up people in his divine sovereign plan. And so both Christmas stories, Christmas stories is found in Matthew and in Luke. In both accounts, there's a genealogy. A central part of the story is the genealogy. Here in Matthew, this is David's, or, yeah, not David, Joseph's lineage. Luke is Mary's lineage, all culminating with David. They both trace back to David. Significant, significant for us, and you'll see why. Partly because this, this is, going back to David, this is how God ordained that the Messiah would come through the line of David. And so God includes this part of the Christmas story, number one, to reveal to me that Jesus is the Messiah. All this stuff here, it's not wasted space. This is actually factual, living proof for all those doubters out there. There's, there's a few of us, right? There's still doubts. 
factual living proof that Jesus isn't just some guy that somebody made up. He has actually lived and his actual ancestry is traced right back to where God said he'd come from to be the Messiah. Who do you think wrote the book of Matthew? Quick quiz. Who do you think wrote the book of Matthew? Shout it out. Good. You guys are way better than the first service. Like, I know it should be Matthew, but I don't know. It's Matthew. Makes sense, right? It's titled Matthew. So who was Matthew? Matthew was a, uh, a tax collector and a Jew, and he was uh, one of those guys that was going about his business, heard of Jesus, sitting in his tax booth one day. I'm not sure what that fully looked like, maybe like a toll booth along the U.S. highways, you know, collecting taxes. And Jesus came along and said, hey, Matthew. <laughs> Me? Tax collectors weren't looked highly upon in that day, just like we kind of don't look at tax collectors highly, right? They were known as swindlers and as scammers. Matthew, I... I have a job for you. I want you to come follow me. Matthew's like, wow. Collect taxes, follow Jesus, you know? I'm going to blow this tax dance. He's out. He's out. Follows Jesus. Becomes one of his closest followers, one of his disciples. Walked with Jesus, so impacted by what he saw and what he experienced, just like some people around the world today. Like, you know what? I need to write a book. This is real. This is true. I need to write a book. And so what he wrote for us was Matthew. The whole purpose of Matthew, the whole purpose of his book was was to prove to people, hey, Jesus is who he says he is. He's the son of God. He's the savior. He's the Messiah. I want you to know this without a shadow of a doubt. He's the only one that can claim the throne of David. And so like a well-seasoned lawyer, Matthew starts his opening argument with like, want me to prove it? Want me to prove it? I'll give you fact. I'll give you fact. Here's the fact. Look at the genealogy of Jesus. Look at where he came from. This is the point of genealogies. It's to point out Jesus as the promised king. This is why these two genealogies in the Christmas story. To point out Jesus as the promised king. Genealogy in Greek simply means this. It's Genesis. It's the beginning, it's origin, it's birth. And so one commentator says it like this. Matthew is basically saying here, this is the book of the new Genesis brought by Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And genealogies, what they do is they establish a person's heritage, or sorry, heritage and inheritance and their legitimacy and their rights. So it's a big deal. Like this, this, this defines who Jesus is. You know, we go to sign a deal now, like, you know, who are you? Prove it. We have passports and driver's licenses. You know what they would do? They'd slap the genealogy. This is, this is showing you exactly who I am and where I came from. This is the thing to seal legal documents. And it shows you the identity of the person who's carrying that genealogy. You want to know who I am? Well, here's exactly who I am. It shows you their identity. Today, we think genealogies, we think... Why don't you look at my genealogy? I've never, never known those people, never going to meet them. Who, who cares? Ever thought that? My dad a few years ago came to me and said, son, I want to study your family history. You want to join me? Nope. Why would you want to do that? Well, I want to know where we came from, don't you? Not really. I came from you. I know grandpa, grandma. Like, that's all I need. He's like, well, I'm going to study them anyways. And so he set out to study our family history. And he called me once and was like, guess what I found out was happening in our, in our family tree? Like, guess, guess who... You remember who your great-grandfather was? Like, get this. And the more he told me, the more I was fascinated by it. The more I realized, hey, my history sort of defines who I am and, and gives some, like, substance to where I came from and where I'm going. And, and so the more he called me, the more I took interest. Like, I found this fascinating, that my great-great-grandfather was an orphan. 
And, and he came from England back in the 1800s to Canada all by himself, orphaned, thinking, I want to start over, I want to start a life. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's pretty significant. Now, here's some resilience in my family. You know, here's some courage. Here's some, like, love it. As you trace him back beyond the 18th century, apparently uh, we quite likely, not perf- perfectly for sure true, but we quite likely go back to the time of the Huguenots, my family history. Uh, we, we actually probably got kicked out of France, go figure, hey. We got kicked out of France in time of religious persecution. The Huguenots were like rallying and, and persecuting some believers, and a lot of the believers then were kind of aligning with Calvin and some of his teachings, of which apparently we could quite possibly have been. And so we got booted from France. And I'm like, yes, that's the history I can hold on to, right? Got some courage, got some like, we're not going to go with the flow. Like, I love that about my history. It sort of helps me understand my identity a little bit and who I am. This is the whole idea of the lineage, the genealogies of Jesus. It helps you understand clearly who he is. He's not just Jesus Christ. He's Jesus Christ. He came from lineage of Abraham and lineage of David. And these are massively significant for the Jewish people. Because ancestry was tightly meshed with covenants that God made his people. So say Jesus is tied to the covenants of God. Remember some of the most significant covenants in the Old Testament? Genesis chapter 12, the Abrahamic covenant. Abraham, you're going to be the father of Israel. And everything in the family of God is going to flow through you. And so Jesus tying himself to Abraham is like, see, see, legitimate. Remember the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7? God told David, he's like, hey, I'm going to establish your throne line forever. Someone from your bloodlines are going to sit on the throne forever and ever and ever. So what's he saying? The Messiah is going to come through your bloodlines. And so clearly we see that that Matthew's trying to say, see, 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 not just Abraham, but also David. It's real. There's his identity. He knows where he came from. So as we read Matthew, the first 17 verses, it takes on some real serious, a serious tone of like, This is proof. We all want proof. Here's more proof. Matthew is saying that that Jesus is culminating all of Israel's history right here, right now. When Jesus came, Israel's history started to make sense. And it was all fulfilling the promises of God that God would one day deliver his people from judgment and from exile and renew his promises to to his ancestors. That Jesus would reign over Israel and extend God's blessings to all people. I already hope you see that the genealogies aren't just filler. You hope we never come to your point in your Bible where you're like, I don't need to know that. What's it here for? So we can know these things. A couple interesting things about this genealogy before I move on. Because the more I study this, I've got some, some pastor geek stuff for you because it's just interesting to me. All these little random facts that are just pretty cool. Uh, one of them is, is this. Just, just look at verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. That's summarizing verses 2 to 6, really. So he's, he's categorized into three different categories, right? Times of Abraham, times of David, times of exile. But how many generations? 14, 14, and 14. I just love how God is so ordered. And God is meticulous. And God would go to great lengths to make sure that you don't miss out on this truth about Jesus Christ. He's going to make it so clear and so obvious and so ordered that there's no room for like, I don't know, I, don't, I guess, I don't know. Oh no, God wants you to know who Jesus is, is the point. 
Not just wonder, to know who Jesus is. It's also interesting to know this, that if you take the name David in Hebrew numerology and you count out the, the, every letter's assigned a number, the number's 14. Again, the, the poetry and the symmetry and the clarity of like, he's trying to point us to Jesus comes from David. He is the king, the rightful king. Also important to note this, that this seems like a pretty detailed genealogy. It's actually more of a theological genealogy than a chronological genealogy. And yet, um, so it's not 100% complete, and yet it's getting the exact point across that God wants it to get across. But notice this. No Jew today has their genealogy at their disposal. Why? Because they were all destroyed in AD 70 through the, the destruction of the temple. So there's only one person in all of history that can say, still to this day, that can say, I'm the only one that traces back to David, back to Abraham, Jesus Christ. Isn't that wild how God does that? Preserve the one that mattered most for us. Not just for the Jews, for us. Here's further, further evidence of Jesus being who he says he is. Genealogies, the names of Jesus highlight him as anticipated savior. The names of Jesus that are brought here, highlight him as anticipated Savior. Remember, all of Matthew's goal was simply to help us see Jesus, to emphasize his life and his ministry. The names of Jesus give us further credence to who he is. In Bible times, the names meant everything. People didn't pick the names of their kids by like, hey, what's the top five boy names in 2017? Let's pick that one. It was the meanings of names that actually helped understand the identity and the significance of the person. And so here's Jesus' names. Jesus, Christ, verse 1, son of David, son of Abraham. Jesus was the everyday name Yeshua or Yahweh saves. Christ, it's not just his last name, the anointed one, the chosen one, son of David, clearly I explained that a little bit too already, but it's associated with the roles of the, both the Messiah and the king in the Old Testament. Son of David means royal lineage who's going to establish a throne in Jerusalem and in the whole nation of Israel, the promised deliverer of a Jewish nation. The son of Abraham presents our Lord as the one who has ultimate fulfillment of the promises made to the father of a nation. I want to tell you, it's not coincidence that all those names are assigned to one person. It's not like, wow, that's pretty. That's, what, what, what chance, what's the chance of that? You know, like today we see some people's names and are like, wow, their meaning of that name, they describe that person perfectly. Wow, what a, how lucky is that? Other people, we see the meaning of their names, that doesn't describe them at all. My name, my name officially means, Daryl means darling. <laughs> Someone messed up there. Obviously my mother thinks so, and that's about it. And you're like, that doesn't match at all, you know? Ruth's name means companion or friend. You're like, I could, that's pretty cool how that kind of worked out. I can see that. You know, did some little research on other, other names, and uh, we just realized that names don't always depict what the person is. You know, if you're, hope we know Mallory's, and if you're Mallory, that name means unfortunate or ill-fated. <laughs> Let's pick Mallory. She's done. You know, if you're, if you're the name uh, Caleb, means dog. Sorry, Caleb's. Just what it is. And you'd go to bat and say, well, my name doesn't really mean, it doesn't really define who I am. It's just the name my parents chose. But in Jesus' times, the names really defined who they were. So this isn't like, 
What a chance. This is for real. The names are showing us the full reality of who Jesus is. Here's what Matthew's trying to say. Jesus truly is a descendant of David through the line of Abraham. If you're ever wondering whether he's the Messiah, the answer is unequivocally yes. Astounding yes. You want legal proof? Here's the proof right here. It's in the legal document of his genealogy. Let me stop for a minute and just, how does this apply to us? How, how, how does this, a lot of good information, right? A lot of interesting stuff here, but here, here's what I think it does for us, even us today. 2017, St. Catharines, Canada, Gentiles, not Jews. Here's what it does for us. It's just, it just another piece of overwhelming evidence that we don't have to doubt the identity of Jesus Christ. What will the world tell you? The world tells you he's a good man. The world tells you he says some pretty smart things. World tell you he was probably like a, a legend in that day, and so he's raised to folklore, but probably not exactly who he says he is. That is all false. You can throw all of that out, and, and students, you go to school and you hear this all the time at work, you hear this people, right? Well, Jesus is really, that's not really Jesus. This is just overwhelming proof that actually he is who he says he is. Another piece of evidence right here before you. Read it and weep. For those who don't believe, read it and rejoice for those who do. I just want to encourage you with this. Like, I, I know we still have doubts. We still have fears. We're like, sometimes in the back of our minds, we're like, is this, is this for real? Is this for real? Is this for real? God just wants you to know today, he's for real. He just wants to add another file to your already growing file of evidence that you don't have to doubt or wonder any longer. You can put your life in Jesus. You can put your hope in Jesus. You can look to him for your, your joy and your peace and all the things we celebrate at Christmas. He is God himself, grace appearing for the salvation of all. Amen? Amen. Let that encourage you today. Dig deeper to some of these things just to, to know in your mind and heart that this, you don't have to doubt any longer. This is it. This is for real. Here's the other thing I think it does for us. It causes us to worship in a greater way. I have to be honest, I got into Matthew chapter one this week on study, and I was like, why did I pick Matthew chapter one? What have I done to myself? This is a hard passage to study, and a lot of work has to go into this. But the more I read, the more I understood, the, even seeing God's plan weaving through it, all these people which we're gonna talk about in a minute, and, and seeing how detailed and descriptive God is, and how meticulous he was in making, us, making sure that we didn't miss out on the grace of God when the grace of God appeared, it just caused me like, wow, thank you, God. Caused me to worship. How many people miss out on the reality of the little baby in a manger? By God's grace, we didn't. Thank you, Jesus, for opening my eyes, for giving me these things, for, for allowing us to see you in the flesh in Jesus Christ. Awesome. It just, I pray it leads you to a greater place of worship. As you see God and see how God is so determined to make sure you don't miss out on his son. He's given us every word of the Bible to make it so. I pray this just leads you this Christmas to a season where you're just worshiping. You're on your knees saying, thank you, God, for your grace to reveal yourself to me. Thank you, God, for eyes to see and hearts to understand. Thank you for your word. I pray it leads to a greater place of worship. Going on, second part of this. I pray this enlightens your mind, inspires your heart, but here's the second part of this whole thing. We're gonna get into some of these names now. Second part of this that is so incredibly intriguing to me is the fact that God chose to use all different kinds of people in the lineage of Jesus. Second thing I want you to write in your notes is this. 
God includes us as part of the Christmas story. Number two, to show me his plan always includes all kinds of people. And if you're anything like me when I was younger, I used to think this. Well, Jesus, he's the son of God. Surely from in his lineage is like the prominent preachers, the renowned theologians, you know, that kind of thing. Like I'm sure he's got all like good stuff in his background. But you know what? You look at this family tree and Jesus' family tree is as messed up as mine and yours. It's true, it's shocking. But it shows you how God is so gracious to even use messed up people to accomplish his ultimate plan of salvation. That God's grace is all over this line of descendants of Jesus. ESV Study Bible says this. Here's part of the grace that you see in the first part of Matthew chapter 1. This is a lineage of men and women and adulterers and prostitutes and heroes and Gentiles. That you and I would never expect to be part of Jesus' lineage. Take, for example, let me walk walk you through some of these to help you understand the people that God used to bring us his son. You don't see God's grace in this, and you have to, like, well, slap yourself a few times to see it because it's so obvious. Abraham. Like, well, he's a man of faith, right? He's a man that had a lot of things going for him. We have warm fuzzies when we sit around the camp for him. Father Abraham. And then he said, you know that song? We kind of elevate him up here. But do you realize what Abraham did in his life? Not just once, but twice. When he's going into another country and the king approached him, he was afraid of the king. You know what he said? He's like, he passed off his wife as his sister. It doesn't seem to shock you. That shocks me. Basically what he's saying is I'm afraid for my life, so here, take my wife. Who does that? Who does that? That was a mess up, right? Not only did he disrespect his wife, he brought shame to himself, and he basically told God, God, I don't supposed to trust you, but I take matters in my own hands, I'm not going to trust you. Abraham wasn't the saint that we all think he was when it comes to looking at his life. What about David. Well, David's a man after God's own heart. We put him up on a pedestal. He was King David. He's the little shepherd boy that would like kill lions and bears with bare hands. Like he must be had something going for him, right? Remember Goliath? Like five little stones and a slingshot. Like who'd even stand in front of Goliath? David did. So he's like, got to be up here. He's got to be up here. You know, David's story goes, right? One of his best buddies is out fighting the war. And so he's looking out, seeing his wife. He invites her in, does what he shouldn't have done. And tries to hide it all. The husband Uriah comes back and instead of him finding out, he sends him out to the front lines to have him killed. I wouldn't append him in Jesus' genealogy, I'm telling you. Maybe I'll just stick with the good people, the, the, the good Christian people, you know what I mean? That have the, the, you can look to his moral examples. And it's not only that, it tells us in God's word, tells us in God's word a little bit, a bit later in uh, 1 Chronicles 22.8, you know why David didn't get to build the temple? Because he was ruthless. Kind of one of those initiators that started too many wars and killed too many people. God's like, you've gone over the top, David. You're not building a temple. Top it all off, he was a pretty bad dad. Absalom didn't really discipline him, and so he was like chasing him his whole life. Like David was a train wreck when you think about it. Yet we're known, we know David by this, his heart of repentance, right? His heart of repentance before the Lord. In fact, if you look at all these names, starting at verse 2, I'm not going to hit everyone, but some of them here, you'll find people who are broken. People who 
we probably look down upon in the church today, people who might not even be able to serve in the church today because of some of their past. Uh, you know, some of these guys have good things going on. Uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Jacob and his sons. We know that's kind of Genesis. That's spelling out Genesis. And all of these guys, as one commentator says, not necessarily um, prototypical Christians, but that God sent Jesus through to save even them from their sins. As one commentator says, that he, Jesus Christ, the son of David, son of Abraham, was sent to overcome the failures of all men and accomplish what they could have never accomplished. The king came through sinful men. Even getting to Judah in this part of the text, so Genesis is pretty safe. You know who Judah was, right? Judah was one of, Judah was one of the sons of Jacob. Remember, remember Joseph, the story of Joseph? Remember there's like 12 sons? Tribes of... Tribes? Joseph... They were jealous of him, so what does a good big brother do? Well, of course he like sells him into slavery and tells his dad he's dead. These weren't choir boys who were the 12, head of the 12 tribes. Get a little farther, we get Sam, Solomon. David was the father of Solomon. We knew that the throne had to go through Solomon, and we know Solomon made the headlines for wisdom, right? Who was the wisest man on earth? He also made some pretty decent headlines for being a bonehead. Like for a wise guy, he was dumb when it came to some decisions. As we know, he liked the ladies, right? And so he took not just a couple of wives, he took a lot of wives from pagan nations that eventually, it says in the scriptures, turned his heart away from God and ended up turning the Israelites' heart away from God and divided a nation. But yet, because God promised the royal line was going to go through David, he's even going to even use all of Solomon's sins and faults to still bring the line through the Messiah through this line. You probably never heard this name before. Uh, Jeconiah, verse 12 it is. It's also in verse 11. But Jeconiah, uh, the first name that's mentioned here in the, in the time of exile, he's talked about in Jeremiah 22:30, And he's a guy, get this. Here's Jeconiah. He was cursed by God. He was cursed by God. And God's like, because you're so messed up, nothing coming from your line is going to be successful and nothing coming from your line is ever going to sit on the throne. That's pretty wild. And yet God used him. Well, how, how does this all fit together? If Jesus comes through Jeconiah's line and he was cursed, doesn't make Jesus under the curse? Here's where it becomes very interesting to study this. Verse 16. This is a, you got to highlight verse 16 here because that's a valid question. If you weren't thinking it, thank you for thinking it now. Because verse 16 is, is a whole different, look at this. So it gets down, so Jeconiah, you've got this in the back of your head. Well, but he was, all his descendants were cursed. How does this fit? And then Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called the Christ. This is so uniquely different from the way the rest of the genealogy spells out. In old English, it was always like, he begat him, he begat him, he begat him. And then at the end it's like, and then of whom Jesus was born. Of whom in the original text is always singular and feminine. Begat, 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 begat. There's no begat when it comes to Jesus. He was begat, not by the line of man, by the Holy Spirit through implanting a seed in Mary. See how this all works out? It's pretty fascinating, isn't it? If he, if he was begat by Joseph, couldn't be the Messiah. But he wasn't begat by Joseph, the immaculate, the, 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 right? Virgin birth. Supernatural conception. 
So God orchestrating all this together through sinful men to bring us a sinless Savior. It's awesome. It's the grace of God is what it is. 100% unequivocal, the grace of God. Add to this interesting note, there's five women listed in this genealogy. Jewish people did not list women in genealogies. Of the five women, four were Gentiles, and all of them had some sort of mystery or accusation surrounding them. Here's the five women, Mary included, but here's the four women before Mary. Tamar, verse 3. Rahab and Ruth, verse 5. It doesn't even mention her name because we know of her deeds, and so it probably would be disrespectful and degrading to put her name in. The wife of Uriah, which is Bathsheba. Interesting to know that all these women in this had a little, like, controversy surrounding them. Tamar. Here's who Tamar was. Again, Gentile. Tamar's husband died. The tradition was the brother had to take her as his wife. Brother didn't like her at all for whatever reason. We don't know why. Maybe he thought she was ugly. We don't know. Didn't like her at all. So he wouldn't consummate the marriage with her. And so that frustrated her. So you know what she did? Tamar? This is just weird. It's in the Bible, but it's weird. She knew her father-in-law had a thing for hookers. So she dressed up like a hooker and went and slept with him and had a son. Ugh. In the Bible... Rahab, who was Rahab? She was also a prostitute, right? That, that whole story of her helping the Israelites conquer Jericho, the one of the most shocking things was that like a prostitute believed in God and the power of God more than some of the other people who should have. But she was a prostitute, very plain and simple. Ruth, well, she was a noble woman, very noble. She didn't do anything wrong, but she was shrouded in whispers because she spent a night with Boaz in the field. And so people who didn't understand that she was so noble she wouldn't have done that, still rumors followed her around the town. Saying, suggesting she was immoral, probably. Bathsheba, we get. We don't think she was immoral. She just was. Proof's in the pudding. Then it comes to Mary. Mary was very noble. Did nothing wrong ever. When it came, she sinned, but don't go there with that. That's not a Catholic thing here. When it came to like sexual purity I'm talking about, and yet people couldn't understand that the Holy Spirit was put in her. So there, again, gossip and whispers and rumors around the town. Well, Mary and Joseph, I think Mary and Joseph. No, no, not true. She didn't do that. Still surrounded in all kinds of interesting dialogue. Amazing, isn't it? What's God doing in here? I think he's breaking down the barriers, showing that the Messiah is coming for Gentiles too, and he's elevating women in a culture that wasn't, women weren't elevated at all. Showing us God's grace in an astounding way. And when the Jews read this, their eyes are like, book. All these people and women included, like what in the world? Bill McDonald says this. Perhaps all of this suggestions about women is a subtle suggestion that the coming of Christ would bring salvation to sinners, God's grace to Gentiles, and that in him barriers of race and sex would be broken down. This is truly a story of God's grace being revealed. That's what Christmas is. It's God's grace being revealed to the world, unleashed upon the world, shown to the world. It's God's grace, the story of God's grace top, top to bottom. It's awesome. 
It's so much more than just a little baby in a manger, no place for them in the inn. We get it's part of the story, but wow, is God gracious in giving us Jesus? Here's a couple application points I want you to just take home with you today from this Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. Number one, I'm praying that you'll just get a greater vision of God's word, that you're going to want to eat this stuff up and study it and get commentaries out and know what God's trying to tell you because we miss a lot of stuff because we gloss over passages like this. Number two is I want you to know this, that God uses messed up people to accomplish his purposes. Even when it comes to bringing us Jesus Christ. Do you hear me? You know what I'm saying this again? Because I know there's so many in this room right now that are like, oh, God could never use me. I'm too broken. I'm too sinful. I'm too messed up. God could never use me. Here's God's Christmas present to you today that's going to be better than anything you get under the tree. God still wants to use you in your broken, messed up state to accomplish his divine purposes. How many people have I met in church that back like, I can't do that because I'm too, this is for you, pastor, not for me. I keep telling you week after week, but no one believes me. I'm just like you. I am no better than you are. It just happens to be I stand up at the front flapping my gums. It's God's grace that God uses any of us in anything that he does, but he chooses to because he's so loving and so gracious in our lives. Isn't that an amazing reality, brothers and sisters? You don't believe me? Look at the genealogy. It's so plain and simple. Some of you started thinking that your life is so defined by your sin that you could never be anything more than a bench warmer on God's team. False reality, lie of the enemy. This is true, that God takes the cuts from every other team, but he brings them on his team to make them something special and to use them for his glory. And this is what God wants your life to even reflect this Christmas. Why are all these people in the Bible, their primary purpose was to point us to Jesus. It was to bring us Jesus. You know what our primary purpose is even this Christmas? You know what it is? It's it's not to make sure the tree is filled with all the lovely gifts for your kids that are going to make them happy for a month. It's not even to go to the tree and get the one thing you've been longing for. You can, oh, I finally got it. My life's complete until next Christmas. You know what it is? It's a... We'd be used to point people. God would use our broken lives to point people to Jesus. This is where Christmas is alive and satisfying and the eternal joy comes up. When we, when we embrace Jesus, we, we, we're convinced of him, we worship him, and then we share him with others. God wants to use our broken lives the same way he used every single broken life in this text to point people to Jesus. And, and so it's not about like avoiding the party. It's about having the party, but making sure Jesus is the center of the party. It's about being bold enough to, to, and joyful enough in Jesus to, to share with your coworkers and your family and your friends what your hope for the season is and why you celebrate Jesus. How many Christians go through the whole Christmas season and the only time they talk about Jesus is at church or with Christian people? But what if I share then? What if they laugh? What if they don't believe me because my life doesn't fully 100% match? No, Jesus wants you to love him and to rejoice him to the point of even sharing him with others. What about those family gatherings? What about those family gatherings you're going to go to? That How do you bring up Jesus? Like Instead of bringing a Christmas card with a present on it or a Christmas tree, how about you bring one with Jesus on it? 
and opens up with a message about Jesus. And give those to your family who's never heard because you don't know how to bring up the conversation. How about this? You have unsafe family. How about you ask this year, can I say grace before our family dinner this year? I know it's foreign to you, but it means so much to me and to my family. Can I say grace this year? You might be shocked at how you're received and how that is received. God used, God uses broken people to reveal the glory of Jesus. God's revealed him to you, and now his desire is that you reveal him to the world. Christmas purpose, Christmas meaning right here. We get this and everything else seems to fall into place and it becomes so much more meaningful. And here's the second thing I think God wants to to leave us with as we look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 17, it's this. God wants to leave us with a, a high view of him realizing that his grace reigns supreme. God's grace reigns supreme. When was the last time you thought about God's grace with the baby in the manger? This is God's grace, all of it, top to bottom. Think about this. Up to us, up to man, we would have messed this whole thing up a long time ago. We'd never have a sinless Savior. We'd never have salvation. But God, His grace reigns supreme in all of our lives. Here's how you can make Christmas so much more meaningful. If you're lacking joy today in Christmas, if you're lacking the, the, the substance to it, here's what I encourage you to do. Go home and think about all the grace that God has shown you in giving you Jesus. We don't deserve Him. We didn't earn the opportunity to see Jesus as God's grace. And go home this Christmas and say, God, thank you for your son. Thank you for all the grace your son gives me. Start counting in your, start writing them down and counting all the evidences of God's grace in your life from even before you knew him to the salvation he's given you in Jesus to the daily grace he shows you every single day. Where did it all start? It started a little manger with nothing and nobody. That's where God's grace started. That's where God revealed his grace through Jesus Christ. You start taking inventory of the grace that God's given you, man, your heart will beat even stronger for the whole Christmas scene. The story of Christmas becomes alive because you can't escape the grace of God. You, you, you'll sit and if you've never worshipped around the Christmas, you'll worship You'll lead your kids in worship. You'll pray. You'll get into the word of God. Christmas will be what Christmas is supposed to be. When you remember this, ultimately, Christmas is about God's grace being revealed and salvation being brought to all people. All people. And this is what God wants you to know today is it's God's grace. No matter where you come from, no matter what, 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 what age you are, your race, your nationality, your social status, your income, it doesn't matter. Grace appeared for all people who would bow and confess their sins and say, God, I need a Savior. I want to put my life in Jesus Christ's hands. And then grace explodes and expounds in your heart and your life for the glory of God. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. God's grace revealed. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for these texts, 
Forgive us for so quickly running past them sometimes. Thank you for the richness of the meaning of this text. God, I pray that you'd apply this to every heart. Father, I can't make this come alive. I can't make it not be boring to somebody. God, would you help them see beyond even the text and look into the wonderful face of Jesus that was given to us by the grace of God. Lord, help us even this moment to see that Jesus came for not just the Jews, but for everyone, Lord. God, I pray for those in this room today that know Christmas inside and out in their heads, but they've never experienced the reality of a living God in their hearts. Father, would today be the day, would this Christmas be the Christmas they actually embrace Jesus Christ as their own Lord and Savior? Realizing they can't be good enough, strong enough, smart enough, but God, you came for sinners broken, messed up. Would you save a soul today in this place, Lord? Help, them, help us see that we're sinners in need of a Savior. God, I pray for those that are saved. Father, I pray that they would, this would just open their eyes greater to the grace that you've shown them that really was culminated on that first Christmas morning. Father, I pray you'd give us hearts of gratitude, Lord. I pray you'd give us hearts of worship, hearts of adoration. God, I pray you'd help us be just like the people in this text here who were broken and sinful and, and messed up. But, oh, God, they still pointed people to you. Help us, Lord, point people to you this Christmas. May we be so overwhelmed with the reality of your love and your mercy and your grace that, that, that we can't help but emanate the truth of the new life in us that you've given us. May many people, God, come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior this Christmas. God, I pray also. For those that are traveling this Christmas, give them journey mercies, oh God. Protect them mentally and physically and spiritually, Lord. God, I pray for those that are traveling to families who don't know you or having families come that don't know you as Lord and Savior. God, I pray that somehow, somehow the urgency of Christmas would capture family members, God, that many would come to know Jesus Christ directly through the, our influence, Lord, this Christmas, that you might use us for the salvation of many souls. Father, I pray you just allow this text to be real, and to be alive in all of our hearts as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen.